Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to the prophecy of Hosea. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 1. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us, he has smitten, and he will bind us up. And it is specifically the one word, return, that I have upon my spirit this evening. Come and let us return. When man sinned, when our first parents talk of the forbidden fruit and the sentence of death came upon them and to all of us through them. The Lord said unto Adam and to Eve, Dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. A most solemn bringing to our attention a returning in the early part of the word of God, a returning that we are constantly being reminded of with everyone that dies and then is laid in the grave. We are returning to dust. Because of the sentence of death, because of the curse. And really the only way that that can be balanced and is balanced for the people of God is that there be another returning that changes what has been done at the beginning. Instead of rebelling against God, instead of being banished from him, instead of being separated from him, there is by God's way, God's provision, by his grace, a returning, returning spiritually, returning to the Lord. Now there's several aspects, several ways that I want to speak of this word return this evening. The first is the context and that of which we read in 1 Samuel. That is returning to the Lord in repentance. But secondly, a returning in providence where we go out from one place and return again to that place. Thirdly, there is a returning in thanksgiving. When the Lord has blessed us and favoured us in our souls, it is a big thing and something often overlooked to return, to give thanks to the Lord. And then lastly, the Lord's returning. And I don't just want to think of his return with power and great glory, but 
returning to bless souls after his promise to bless, to visit them again, the returning visits of the Lord. So I want to think first of the context here. In one sense, it's almost an answer to the reading that we had. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 7 of when the ark of the Lord had been through the land of the Philistines for six months and it had been returned to Beth Shemesh. The Lord had judged those at Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark. And so in the previous chapter, uh, we have set before us the messengers that were sent to Kirjath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have brought again the ark of the Lord. Come ye down and fetch it up to you. And we began our reading, And the men of Kirjath-Jerim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord. But then we read that the time was long. Twenty years went by, before the children of Israel were seeking unto the Lord and seeking unto the ark. Remember, it was when they fought against the Philistines, when Eli's two wicked sons were slain, when they brought the ark into the battle that the ark was taken. Twenty years had gone by since that defeat, since God had showed his power amongst the Philistines, the ark being returned. And now there is a time that Israel, it longs after the ark. Now no doubt Samuel, you might think, why didn't Samuel speak to them before this time? And yet I believe Samuel was watching, seeing what they'd do. He read in another place, the Lord saying to his disobedient, rebellious people, I'll return unto my place. And it is that they then miss him. It's something the Lord can never chasten the ungodly, never chasten those who have never known him in this way. But those who have known him, if he hides himself, if he withdraws, then sometimes it takes a long while, but eventually the Lord will bring a people to long after him again, to remember from whence they have fallen. And we have this here, because there is Israel lamenting after the Lord. And now Samuel, he speaks unto the house of Israel, if ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts. Samuel was not going to point them to half measures. He's speaking completely. Then put away the strange gods and astros from among you. Real repentance. Real godly sorrow. We read then that the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Astroth and served the Lord only. But our text, it says, come and let us return unto the Lord. But really we should look firstly, not in the way of backsliding, but 
in the very beginning, the way the Lord deals with his people. The change that is wrought when one is converted is described in several ways in the word of God. Sometimes it is called conversion. Sometimes it is called quickening. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Sometimes it is the resurrection. Blessed is he that hath part in that first resurrection, the spiritual resurrection from spiritual death to spiritual life. Other times the Lord calls it a new birth, to be born again of the Spirit. Except ye be born again, ye cannot see the kingdom of God. Sometimes it's referred to as being regenerated, a regeneration. But they all point to the same thing, the gift of eternal life and the work of God in a sinner's heart. And each of them, really, they show it in a different way. Some of the Lord's people may clearly be able to see that what they have been through is more described like the new birth. Everything is new. The things they see in the word, the things they hear, everything is new. Others it is more like conversion. Their whole life is completely changed. Saul on the Damascus Road, very different. After he was converted, what a change was brought then. Others, the idea of being calling, we're to make known uh, our election by our calling, to be called of God, to hear his voice, to be drawn after him. They see that more clear. But others will be able to see the same work, the same token in returning. Our Lord in Luke 15, gave the parable, well, three parables, really, of repentance. There's a parable of the 99 sheep and or the 100 sheep, 99, were there, but one was astray. And the shepherd went and sought that. The other was the 10 pieces of money. One was lost and the whole house sought for that one. And the joy, the Lord said, there's joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety-nine just persons which have no need of repentance. And then he told the parable of the prodigal son. And we have the two sons. One asks for his portion, his inheritance, and he goes away to a far country and spends it with riotous living, far away from his father. But then when he began to be in want, then he thought of his father's house, and he resolved that he would return, he would go back. He wouldn't go back wanting to be a son, he was content to be but a servant, only that he be in his father's house. All what he experienced, he was humbled, he was brought low. 
But you know, as soon as he started to return, the father saw him afar off. Often seen that as such a wonderful thing. It's such a beautiful picture of our Lord. He knows what he has wrought in a sinner's heart. He knows what is going on within. And as soon as he sees that, as soon as that is wrought in, they begin to return. They don't have to return all the way. He meets them. He comes to them. And the reception so different to what they expect, so different than what that son expected from his father. The father was so glad, so pleased, and that is the message that the Lord was telling in all of those three parables. There's joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, one sinner that turns, one sinner that changes, one sinner that resolves, to, to go again to God, to turn unto the Lord. You know, the work of grace, a sinner is going away from God and they're turned back to God, far from him first, but then calls and brought to follow after him. And you know, that which is wrought at grace, that first turning, will be known again and again. We are bound to backslide. We are due. We're bent to backsliding. But the Lord has said that he will chasten, he will correct, and he bids to return again. And the very word he return, and the very description of one under the blessing of God, it shows the reality of it. It shows what the Lord is is doing. It may be for some tonight, and you, you sort a token, you're looking to see whether it is really the Lord's hand, or may it be seen in this picture, in this view of returning to the Lord, and you know, if you feel in that way, one thing that you will feel as well, however much you might consistently have attended the means of grace, you would say, yes, I may consistently have been attending, but really my heart was far off, and my way was the way of the world. But now, brought to return to the Lord, what we read in 1 Samuel was a real returning, a real repentance, a real change. Not just turning over a new leaf. Not just changing what we feel or what we believe. Changing from an Arminian to a Calvinist or, or from one uh, belief to another. A new nature, a new heart, a new creature. God's work within Bring a real turning fully unto the Lord. And what was set before the Israelites, it wasn't just turning to the Lord. It was forsaking what we were going after before other gods. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve the world and the things of it. It must be the Lord only to serve him fully. 
And when the Lord does a work, it will be that. It will be a full work, a real work of God's grace. Return. Really, when the Spirit begins to work with a sinner, this is the message, return. Return unto the Lord. Turn unto the Lord. Here, come and let us return unto the Lord. You know, there are many, he spoke of the prodigal son, but there are many in our churches that have walked that path. And they have. They have left the churches and bless God if we have been kept and not leave. But some have left and they've gone many years into the world and then the Lord has brought them back. And it may be that those like the elder brother who have never left the means of grace are puzzled and can't work out why the church is so pleased and glad, how it is that they're received into church membership and Lord's table when they've done such things, they've gone away and they fail to discern the returning in real repentance, not just to darken the door and to continue as a door on its hinges, but to really be saved, to really be brought to godly sorrow for sin and to be given faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that's why the Lord gave that parable. We've said many times, nearly all of the parables of the Lord have two characters in them, so that there is a comparison. He doesn't just give how to pray, and we've got the publican, God be merciful to me, a sinner, as a real evidence of the breathings of a, a touched heart. But he shows the contrast, the Pharisee and how he's praying. And so with the prodigal son, you get the two, two brothers, two sons. And you see it again and again. Cain and Abel, Esau, Jacob, all of these. You get two thieves upon the cross, not just one. You get Ruth and Orpah, two daughters-in-law, not just one. And all the time you've got a comparison. You look at this one's life. You look what's done by the Lord's work in this one. And you look in this one where the work is not there. And you see the difference. And these things are for our instruction. And I believe one important thing is that the Lord's dear people are able to see. See the Lord's work in them. See their character as if the Lord would say, poor soul, you cannot see your character in my people, but can you see them in those, your character in those who are lost? And you might say, no, I don't, don't see that. And it helps us to more clearly see the Lord's work. When you get like the Apostle Paul, and he is able clearly to say, what I am, I am by the grace of God. It is the grace of God that has made the change in my heart and in my life. It's not been me. It's not been man. It's been God that's done it. And he was able to, to clearly say that, to, to know that. And it's a blessed thing to be able to see this is the Lord's work. It's marvellous in our eyes. In a lot of ways, when a testimony is given before the church of God. This is the 
joy of the church when they hear such testimonies. Be able to hear it and be able to say that the thing proceedeth from the Lord. They see his handiwork. But before that happens, well, maybe the church is noticing it. But it's a blessed thing when the person concerned can see it and feel it and to have the assurance and comfort of it. Thinking again of later on in the Lord's dealings with his people that backslide from him, that depart from him, the children of Israel in the wilderness, when the way got rough and hard, then what they wanted to do was a returning that the Lord forbade them to. And that was to return to Egypt. That's where their wicked hearts, they wanted the cucumbers, the leeks, the blessings that they had there in Egypt. But the Lord said, no, you are not to return. And it didn't happen once, but not just even in the wilderness, but later on when they were in Canaan and when they were being dealt with with Babylon, there were those that wanted to go to Egypt. And in that return, it was forbidden. It's a great blessing that the return that the Lord works in the heart of his people to him, he'll also hedge up their way so that they do not return again to their old ways or cast away their faith. Remember the Lord, the children of Israel, he sent them through the way of the Red Sea, not the way of the Philistines. The reason less when they saw war, they would turn back to Egypt. The Lord does put those things in the way of his people in his kindness and mercy to hedge up their way so they don't return that way. The return is to be for them a irresistible work, a work that will certainly result in a people being brought back to God for his honour and glory and for the place prepared for them in heaven. So the first thing then is returning to the Lord in repentance. Return. The second I bring before you is returning in providence. God has set the bounds of our habitation. He has appointed where we live, where we move, and it's a good thing if we learn the lesson of James, when we say that we're going to another country, another place, and sojourn for a little while and then get going. If the Lord will, you should say, you should will do this or that. Well, the Lord's dear people, throughout the word, especially there, are several I bring before you, that the Lord has directed in their ways and then brought them back again. We think of the case of uh, Jacob, when Jacob was fleeing from his brother Esau 
and Rebecca had got him to go to her brother Laban. And so he sets off on what seemed, as Rebecca said, but a few days, but it turned out to be 20 years in Genesis 28. And when Jacob then came uh, to Luz and he laid on the stones for his pillow and had the vision with the ladder set up on earth, the top of it reached to heaven, behold the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And the Lord gave Jacob a blessed promise that the land that he was on, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. And then he gave him the promise in verse 15, Behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. When Jacob woke out of his sleep, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. He called that place Bethel. It was the place where God appeared to him, where he then anointed the pillar. We had then 20 years with Laban. Seven years he served for one wife, seven for the other, and then six years for his sheep and the, the cattle. And then the Lord told him to return, to go back to uh, the land that he had come from. And he put him in remembrance of where he'd come from. The Lord said in, in chapter 31, verse 3, The Lord said unto Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. Now there was another thing that was happening with this returning because we read that Jacob, he saw that Laban was not towards him as before. The Lord had put a thorn in his nest, that which was to make it easier for him to return. Now it looked on in a natural sense. People might have said, Jacob, you say the Lord has told you to return. No, you're just running away. Things have just got difficult, things have just got hard, and that's all you're doing. But the Lord had spoken to him and had told him to go back and remember, remember Bethel and to go back where he'd anointed the pillar, where he'd promised. And at the same time, had those things in providence that made it, easier to do and helped him to actually do it and helped also Rachel and Leah as well to return. So Jacob, he, he does return and we would think, well, with such a promise and with that, such an expectation that it is of the Lord that when he returns that everything will go smoothly, everything will go well. And yet we feel how soon that was tried. In Genesis 32, Jacob learns of Esau coming. And he's coming with 400 men. And how he's so fierce. And 
Jacob said, O God of my father, in 32 verse 9, My father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord, which says unto thee, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou saidst, I will surely do thee good. Make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Many times, when there is a move in providence of returning, there is that expectation, the Lord is in it, we're doing his will, we are returning, everything will go smooth, everything will go well. Well, Jacob, he had this, and the Lord wonderfully appeared for him as he wrestled with the angel. He saw his brother's face as the face of God, saw an answer to prayer. But then we have that with, with Shechem, he had troubles there, and, and later on, of course, with his sons and with Joseph. But we think as well with the children of Israel coming back from Babylon. When they were returning, you think, well, the Lord's hand is in it with Cyrus, with the 70 years up. But then they get the adversaries in building the temple. The temple stopped for several years before it's restarted. And then you find even 78 years later, Nehemiah's time, the walls are still not rebuilt. There's still much rubbish and there's still many adversaries. And so we can sometimes have a very wrong expectation of what the Lord will do, and especially in moves of providence in that way. Then we think of Naomi, and we know Naomi, now Khan, uh, 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 and her husband, uh, they went from Bethlehem and they went to Moab. And uh, why? Well, because there was the uh, famine in the land. And you might say, well, it's a, it's a right reason, isn't it, why they should have left. But you uh, cannot but think that Elimelech, he should have stayed in the land. He hadn't been given direction like the Shunammite woman uh, had to escape the famine that Elisha told her to. But Naomi, she has to pass through the loss of her husband, the loss of her two sons. But then she has Ruth and Orpah, her daughters-in-law. And she hears that there is bread in Israel, in Bethlehem, and she desires to return. And then it comes that there is to be a a parting, a difference between those two girls. Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go return, each one to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. She is aiming to return to the Lord's people, the Lord's land. 
And she is testing them. Will they return? Will Orpah, she returns to her people and to her gods. But Ruth, she says, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will launch. Thy people shall be my people and thy God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. Lord, do so to me. And more also, if aught but death, part thee and me. At the end of that first chapter in Ruth, we read, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess. You know, we might say, especially in this case, without a returning, the line to Christ would not be there. There is a, a vital need for Naomi to return, and with Ruth. It was a vital point in the providence of God to bring about the line to Christ. And there's another returning as well, and that is with Moses. Moses was born a special child. His parents by faith hid him. Forty years raised up in Pharaoh's household. He thought the time had come to deliver Israel but it was not the Lord's time, so he had to flee into the desert for another 40 years. But then the time comes that the Lord says to him to return. He's not to stay in the desert. He's returned back to his own people, to his own land. And there the Lord would use him as the means to bring the children of Israel out of their captive bondage. Again, absolutely vital that Moses returned in that way. And so there will be times in our lives as well that there is a going out and there is a coming in. There is a vital necessity for returning. And it's good for us to know the Lord's voice in providence. Sometimes we might think, well, uh, the Lord doesn't change and the Lord will never change the course that he puts us in. But sometimes it is quite the other way and there are those changes. And it is to, like with Jacob, with Moses, with Naomi, to actually know the Lord's voice and know the Lord's timing as well. Who would have thought with Moses 40 years we think of, we've already mentioned Babylon, 70 years. But right from the start, they were told that they would return. They would come back again. So the Lord orders his dear people in the places that they go. And some of those main directions are bound up in this word, return. The third one that I bring before you is that of thanksgiving. We mentioned when we first mentioned this point of what a hard thing it is for us when we have something that we've asked for and longed for, wanted, and the Lord gives it to us to stop enjoying it 
to stop going along with it, but to return and give thanks, to take the time and the very definite action to return, to give thanks. We have the case, uh, no doubt comes to your mind and came to mind of that of the lepers, ten lepers that sought unto the Lord to be healed. And the Lord bade them to go and show themselves to the priests. Well, to do that, that was what was the prescription when one was healed. And the priests would, they would discern whether it was really healed or not. And they went. And as they went, they realised that they were whole, they were cleansed. And there was one leper, a Samaritan, that when he realised that he was cleansed, then he returned fell at the feet of the Lord, giving him thanks. And the Lord said, were there not ten healed? Where are the nine? There's not returned unto God, save this one. And it was a real mark of the blessing and of true gratitude for what had been done. There was a returning to give thanks. We think of Hannah. She had been praying before Eli. Eli mistook her at first, thought she was drunken, as her voice was not heard, her lips were just moving. But she corrected him mildly, humbly. And Eli said, The Lord give thee the petition that thou hast asked of him. It appears he did not know what the petition was, just that she was asking that petition. And he was able to ask for her, really, the Lord to give her that petition without probing, without asking what it was. You know, it's such an encouragement to Lord's people when they realise that those maybe that they mistook at first are really concerned. They are praying. Behold, he prayeth, was said of Saul, they're really asking of the Lord's things. There's another thing with Eli's well. I know when we pray, part of prayer should be adoration and praise and worship. Part should be confession and part should be thanksgiving. But part is also supplication. And Eli, he discerned there that what she was doing, she was asking. She was asking. Something could be given her. An answer was required. The Lord give thee the petition that thou hast asked of him. Woman of a sorrowful spirit poured out her soul before the Lord. But then she returns and she says, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition that I have asked of him. She returned. Now Elkanah, when uh, she wanted to stay and have the child weaned, he warned her and said that, uh, really see that the vow that you have vowed to give him to the Lord, lend him to the Lord, all the days of his life be fulfilled that the 
husband or a father to a young woman that was unmarried under his house had the power when he heard a vow to disannul it. But if he didn't, if he kept silence, then that vow was established and Elkanah had held his peace. He hadn't disannulled Hannah's prayer and so he was making sure that she didn't think, well, now she's got the child, I can't give him up. I can't take him now. I must have him here. He said, no, you make sure you follow through. In that sense, with a father, I know we're not under Israelitish law, but is a good thing where those who know what vows you promises have been made are able to discern and encourage that there be a following through with it and, and a giving of thanks. And so Hannah did, and I believe she always intended to do. She wasn't forced to do, because when she came and then she uh, brings him to Eli, in chapter 2 we, we read of such thanksgiving and praise to God that does not even mention Samuel. Her praises to the Lord, her glory is to the Lord in thanksgiving. You know, when we think of Psalm 107, the psalm begins, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And throughout that psalm, there's, O that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. It is not often that that happens. We read, Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving. Declare his works with rejoicing. Sacrifices of thanksgiving. How is that? To return to give thanks in a way is a sacrificing of time. To give thanks in paying a vow is a sacrifice of that which we have vowed to give of the tithing of something that we have uh, actually received is another way of returning and giving thanks. But may we know this aspect of return, returning to give thanks, returning to the Lord. When was the last time we came before the Lord in prayer and it was thanksgiving. It was praise. Well, the last one I'll bring before you is the Lord returning. When the Lord met with Abraham before he had Isaac uh, born, and you read in Genesis 18, and the Lord said to Abraham, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. So the Lord had given a promise, a promise of a son. And the fulfilling of that promise, the Lord describes as a returning. He visited Abraham with a promise. He returned to Abraham 
to fulfill that promise. And he's a reminder to us, he's not only God that promises, but God that performs that as well. And sometimes in between time, we might feel, well, the Lord is not here. We're left alone. The signs are not there. We remember in exercise of the ministry, in which I felt to have promises in the early days of that exercise, some 13 years of exercise and watching and praying and waiting. But there were times in that time that it seemed the Lord had forgotten me. It seems as if it was completely dead. There was nothing going on. It all come to nothing. But when the Lord brought it to pass, it was the Lord returning and Lord returning to bless. Blessings, answers to prayer, they don't just happen. The Lord does them. He visits. You know, we said about Naomi. What she said, the Lord, she'd heard that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. A visit in bringing something to pass, fulfilling the promise. The Lord's coming himself. The promises of the seed of the woman the promises of the coming Messiah. There were years it seemed like it was never going to happen. But suddenly he comes to his temple. Suddenly he visits. And then the blessing is there. The Lord is there. And so he says in verse 14 of Genesis 18, Is anything too hard for the Lord at the time appointed? I will return unto thee according to the time of life and Sarah shall have a son. A time appointed. Appointed time to favour Zion. Appointed time for the Lord to bless, to fulfil his promises and the expectation of his people. Some of us have those promises personally or as a church that we often put the Lord in remindment of. And it's a good thing to think of the way that is put in Genesis. We think, well, if the Lord's going to fulfil it, it'll get better and better, or things will look so much more in favour of this being fulfilled. Not, Not worse and worse. Not like perhaps the Jews thinking, well, 400 years of silence and now the Romans are over top of us and we are under their rule. How can the Lord come now? But the Lord came then. A time least expected. A visit from the Lord. The Lord returning in that way. May this be an encouragement to some of you that wait for the Lord's blessing. Look for him to fulfil his word and his promises that the Lord does return, that the Lord doesn't forget, that same Lord that bids his people return, he will return. And so then we think of the Lord's second coming, the message that the angel gave to those who were gazing up into heaven. Why look ye, gazing up into heaven, he that hath ascended shall come, shall return in like manner in the clouds of heaven. Is one great 
blessing and promise that the church has. The Lord will return. And yet what do we say? Time's getting worse and worse, darker and darker, men giving to pleasure and few following or seeking the Lord at all. But all the time we have this promise of the Lord's return. He will come again. He says to his people, I will see you again. Your heart shall rejoice. Your joy no man taketh from you. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. We can be assured of this. The Lord said time, he will come. Now, dear friends, if we've known here below the visits of his face, we've known what it is when the Lord has brought us to return, to return unto him, where the Lord's returned unto us in blessing, where we've known times where we've had to return unto the Lord in thanksgiving and in praise, where we've known what it is to make moves in providence because the Lord has caused us to do it, to look for it and to wait his time and to see his time and to return. Then it's a blessed thing to have these tokens. When the Lord returns, we shall lift up our head with joy. We shall rejoice at our redemption that comes. The Lord will come, for those that are not his, they shall call upon the rocks and the hills to hide them from the face of him that sitteth upon the throne. The Lord says of his people, when ye see these things begin to come to pass, look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. There's nothing, nothing for you to fear when the Lord returns. And if we've known the returning blessings of the Lord here below, we know that that is true. There can be no greater blessing than the Lord return and to gather his dear people home to himself. May we be numbered amongst them. Amen.